trust is a complete reliance on the goodness, wisdom, character, timing, ways, and will of God. This message is the fifth in the series, Rudders and Roots. The message is entitled, Addressing Your Problems, Part 3. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Then grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we continue our series together called Change Your Words, Change Your Life. Just a quick reminder this morning uh, that coming up the 10th through the 20th of June this year, my wife and I will be traveling again to Israel, and we would love for you to be, be a part of that journey. There's nothing like going to the Holy Land, the land where Jesus walked, where the pages of the Bible come alive, and it's a tremendous opportunity to be a part of a trip uh, like this. And so if you'd like more information about joining us on that Holy Land journey, uh, make sure you go again to our website at church-redeemer.org slash holyland or slash info, get all the information about it and plan to be a part. We'd love to have you join us for that. As I said, we're talking about changing your words and changing your life. This series is such an important series for us because it's helping us to begin to learn how to use the right language, to speak the, the way that God has called us to speak because our words are tremendously powerful. I think all of us can acknowledge there have been times in our life that we've caused great damage and great problems just by the words that we've said. There are other times in life where we've actually brought blessing and encouragement to someone by simply speaking the right word in the right moment. Your words are tremendously powerful and impactful. The Apostle James in James chapter 3 reminds us of this. This is one of the foundational passages for this series together. He says, we all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we're powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means that our character is mature and fully developed. Notice this, horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it carries what? Great power. Here, James, uh, among a number of things that he talks about in this passage, he likens your tongue, your words, our words, to two examples, one to the bit in a horse's mouth, how you're able to take this large animal and very strong animal and direct it where it needs to go just by the bit in the mouth. And then he uses the illustration of a rudder on a ship. You've got a massive ship that is being driven by winds, and nevertheless, you're able to use a rudder to get it to its proper destination. And so he reminds us that our tongue is like a rudder. Our tongue is, tongue is like a bit in our mouth that can direct us in the right direction or the wrong direction if we're not careful. So an undisciplined, an old, uncontrolled tongue can get you in to a lot of trouble, but a disciplined tongue is a wonderful blessing in your life. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 18 says it this way, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue, your tongue, your words have great power. I'd like to ask you a question this morning. It sort of frames what we're talking about in this series together. My question is this, what would it take, how long would it take you to learn a brand new language? If you had to travel to a different country and you knew nothing at all about the language of that country, you'd never studied anything about it at all, it was completely foreign to you, and you had to learn that language so you could, it, you could engage in that culture, you're going to move there, you're going to be in that environment, how long would it take you to learn that language? I'm sure that most of us would acknowledge that it would take more than two or three or four lessons. It would require extensive study. It would require learning some of the sentence structure and expanding our vocabulary. And it would also involve oftentimes getting immersed into that culture before we really begin to get comfortable and fluent in the language. Well, when it comes to the language of heaven, we have to learn how to speak the language of heaven. 
because we're earthly creatures. And even though we've been born again in the life of Christ, we have to learn that God has a language. God has a way of speaking, a way that He wants us to speak. There is a language of heaven. There's a language that actually brings heaven into our earth. But it requires us learning that language. That's why I'm taking such an extended period of time in this series to give us some language lessons, to help us to learn some of the language of heaven so that we can begin to speak the way God wants us to speak. Because the language of heaven is a language that speaks in agreement with God. It's where we line up with God and line up with God's Word, and our words begin to reflect what God says, because the Scripture says in Amos 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are... Agreed. You and I cannot walk effectively with God unless we come into agreement with Him. And one of those areas of agreement involves the words of our mouth, learning to speak the language of heaven, the language of God. And there's no area in your life that this is more important, no area of your life that this is more important in than the area of dealing with difficulties and dealing with problems. Because quite often, as soon as a difficulty, it's easy to speak the language of heaven when everything's going well, is it not? It's easy to speak the language of heaven when everything's in order and you're getting what you want out of life and everything seems to be moving along smoothly and you feel blessed in your life. It's easy to praise God. It's easy to honor God. It's easy easy to to speak that language of heaven. But, But our language is severely tested, especially when we engage in difficulties, especially when there's a problem, an obstacle, a challenge that comes our way. And those are the moments that we need to learn what to say in the times of difficulty and as a part of this series, I've been talking about how you and I are to use and craft our language so that we're speaking the language of heaven when problems and difficulties come our way. We spoke about the fact that what you say about your problems matters in these times, and we described how oftentimes in the midst of a problem, you describe your problem as being impossible or overwhelming, or this problem is killing you, and before long, you've actually spoken death and more difficulty into your circumstance. Last weekend, we talked about what you say to your problems matters, how you and I need to to start talking to our problems in a God way. Not only talking to God about our problems, but talking to our problems about our God. And today I want to move further in this whole theme of learning the language of heaven, especially when it comes to dealing with problems. Let me just start again by asking another question. How many of you have at least one problem in your life today? Go ahead and raise your hand. If you have one problem, this message is for you. Uh, All of us are are, are qualified to be listeners today because there's something in this message for you today. And the thing that I want you to, to grasp today, this one theme today, is how you speak to your problems matters also. How you address your problems, how you speak to them. I think all of us acknowledge that how you say something can be more important at times than what you say. You can say to a person, I love you. Or you can say, I love you. Same three words, I love you. Or I love you. The first, I love you, is you're forcing me to say this, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Yes, I love you. Okay. The second, I love you, is out of your own free will. You're saying, I care about you. You're communicating something of a care and concern. It's the, they're, they're the same words, but how you say them matters. And the same is true when it comes to dealing with issues and problems in your life. You must learn the language of heaven and know how to speak to your problems effectively so that you're in line and in agreement with God. Jesus refers to this in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. I'll read down through verse 24. Notice these words. So Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, that's a problem in your life, speaking to your problem, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have 
whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you, you receive them and you will have them. I want you to notice that Jesus frames for us a proper way to talk to our mountains, a proper way to address our problems. And what I want to do for the next few moments is give you some very practical instructions about how you, how you speak to problems, how you deal with problems in your life. How do you address them from God's perspective? How do you use the language of heaven to deal with difficulties that come your way? The first thing is you must learn to speak to your problems with wisdom and with knowledge, to speak to your problems with the wisdom and knowledge of God. You need to know what to say to your problems because if you don't know what to say to your problems, you'll not know how to address them effectively. And to know what to say to your problems, you need to know what God says about your problems. Because you can't speak the language of heaven to your problems unless you know what God says about your problems. You need the right thing to say. You need truth. You need wisdom that comes from the pages of the Bible. Jesus knew exactly what to say to every problem that came his way, every difficulty that he encountered. He spoke with accuracy and wisdom to them. Notice in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, a very significant time in Jesus' life when he was facing a significant problem, a challenge in his own life. And I want you to notice the crafting of Jesus' words in the midst of this challenge that he was facing. We learn something for ourselves. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I think all of us would agree that's a problem, right? You're facing a difficulty. This is a tough time that Jesus is about to experience. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Would you agree that if you haven't eaten anything for 40 days or 40 nights, you would be hungry too? So that's another problem. You're battling the enemy, the devil himself, and you're also very, very hungry. Now, in the midst of this vulnerable environment, here is Jesus. The tempter came to him and said, if, you're, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That was a temptation, one of three temptations you'll see in this passage. Now, how does Jesus handle this problem? Notice what it says. Jesus answered, notice these three words, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So now the devil is, 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 is resorting to quoting Scripture at Jesus, but he's twisting the Scripture. See, the devil knows the Bible, but he'll twist it on you. He'll try to deceive you. The Bible says the devil comes as an angel of light. And even though he knows Scripture, there's a twist, there's a perversion to the way he will try to apply it in your life. Jesus answered him, it is also written, again, those words, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world, of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said, or he spoke to him. These are words coming from Jesus' mouth, away from from me, Satan, for it is written. There's the third time he makes this declaration. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. How did Jesus deal with his problem? How did Jesus deal with the temptation that came his way? How did Jesus deal with this difficulty? He knew what to say back to the adversary in the moment. And what did he do? He quoted scripture. He knew God's word. He used the sword of the spirit in that environment to stand against anything the enemy was bringing his way. Dear ones, let me tell you something. You cannot conquer your problems with your words. Your words are powerless. Only God's words are strong enough and, most, and powerful enough 
to contend with the problems that will come your way. Your words are insufficient, but God's words are sufficient and powerful. You need to know God's Word. Because if you don't know what God says about your problem, you'll not know what to say to your problem. If you don't know what God says about your problem, you'll have no idea when the problem comes your way how you are to address it. We're talking about the language of heaven. And we, as we speak God's word back to our problems, things change. Notice in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Again, it's describing the power of God's word. I love Psalm 29, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what the psalmist says about the voice or the word of God. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying when God's word comes into a situation, it is able to break open things that other things cannot break open. I've seen it in my life where God's Word comes into my heart and life, and I begin to declare God's Word over a circumstance, and things break open that otherwise would have never broken open. God's Word can break the chains that bind you. It's the power of the Word. Notice again in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What you need to do is you need to have God's Word in you so that you know that when you're dealing with a situation, you know what to say. Let's say that your problem is a financial problem. You need to know what God says about that financial problem. And it's in the Scriptures, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I'm looking at a financial situation that is difficult, but I can declare God's Word to my problem, and God's Word says that my God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm facing a problem where I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I have the adequate capacity to handle something. I can pull out Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm facing something that's creating fear in my life. I can go and grab hold of 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 that says, God did not give me the spirit of fear, but that of power, love, and of a sound mind. And I have something to use against the adversary. I might find myself in a moment when I'm worried and anxious. I can go and grab Philippians chapter 4 verse number 6 that says, I'm not going to worry about anything, but instead I'm going to tell God about everything. I'm going to trust God for the answers that are needed in my life. I grab hold of scripture and casting all of my care upon him because he cares for me. Let me tell you something. You cannot speak well to your problems unless you know what God says about your problems. It all starts with having wisdom and knowledge from God that gives you artillery against the adversary and artillery against those things that will come your way. Do you know your Bible? Do you know the promises of God? One of the reasons that I prepared this little book for you called Unleashed. By the way, any of you been using this little book? You haven't been using it? Turn your copy back in, okay? We'll pass it around, okay? The reason that we gave you this little book, it's our gift to you because we want you to get the scriptures inside of you. And every one of these 25 declarations, you'll find at least three or four, some cases five or six scriptures that back up the declaration. I actually want you to become more familiar with the scriptures than with the declarations. Because if you know the scriptures, the declarations will automatically come. You need to know the scriptures because the the Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is not your word, nor is it my word, but the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. You need to have a sword in your hand. You need to know what God 
God says about your problems. Get the word of God, not just in your head, get it in your heart and let God's word come out of your mouth. It is powerful and it is very effective. The second thing I want to share with you today, how do you speak to your problems? You speak with wisdom and knowledge. And then second of all, you speak with faith and conviction. A conviction is is something that you're convinced of. It's a firmly held belief. That's all a conviction is. A conviction conviction is something you can't be shaken from. In Acts chapter 1, I'll just quickly tell you the story. Jesus, the Bible says, after he rose from the grave, he spent 40 days with his disciples, giving them many convincing proofs, infallible proofs that he was alive. He spent 40 days with his disciples, making sure that before he ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, that they were fully convinced They had a deep conviction that Jesus was alive. Why? Because these apostles were going to establish the first church that now would create for us the belief system, the doctrine of the church that would last for all generations until Jesus comes back again. And so these these now 11 at this point in time, because Judas was no longer part of the mix, these 11 needed to be fully convinced that Jesus was alive. And they were fully convinced that Jesus was alive. Many of them gave their lives in martyrdom for the faith. They would not back away from the fact that Jesus was the risen Savior. There's certain things in your life, dear one, certain things in your life and my life that we need to be so convinced of that nothing can shake you from it. I'm thoroughly convinced that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Nothing can shake me from it. I'm thoroughly convinced that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, I deserve to pay the price for my sins, but Jesus took my place on the cross of, of Calvary. He, he was my substitute. He died for me. He was my atonement and is my atonement. I, I believe that nothing can change my mind about that. I'm thoroughly convinced, for example, that Jesus rose from the grave. No one could convince me otherwise. I know for sure that my Savior lives. Amen. How do I know that He lives? He lives inside of me. He lives in my heart. I know he's alive. I'm convinced of that. You can't take that away from me. I'm fully convinced that the Bible is true. The Bible is the word of God. It is true from cover to cover. There's nothing in the pages of scripture that is contradictory to the nature and purpose of God. And it, it is God's word to us. It is God's love letter to us. I'm fully convinced of that. I'm fully convinced that Jesus Christ is coming back again one day. I don't know when he's coming back, but I'm convinced that one day he's going to split the eastern sky. He's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split open. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but I can tell you this, I'm fully convinced that's going to happen. Can I ask you today, what are you convinced of? Because if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So you've got to stand for something in your life. There's got to be something that's solid in your life that is absolutely secure that nothing can shake you from. And when it comes to dealing with problem areas in your life, it's not just enough to know what the Bible says. You've got to believe what the Bible says. You've got to be fully convinced that God's word is is above and beyond anything else that you might see in the circumstances. It's above anything else you might might be thinking about. It it surpasses any and everything. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 11 again. He says, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. God, have a fully convinced faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says, if you have faith in God, whoever says to this mountain, again, your mountain represents your problem, your difficulty. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus said, you need faith 
in your heart to motivate the words that come out of your mouth. Because whatever is in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? And so he says, get the faith in you, be, be fully convinced, have faith in God, and then out of that faith, speak to your mountain, speak to your problem, and you'll see things begin to change. Now, we need to answer the question, then what is faith? How do we get this thing called faith? I found that over the years, a lot of, a lot of believers struggle with, I, I wish I had more faith, and I, I want my faith to be stronger. How do I get stronger faith? I'll tell you exactly how to, you, how to get stronger faith. I'm going to give you the secret today. You ready? Here's the secret to getting fa- stronger faith. Use the faith you have, and your faith will get stronger, okay? That's all you have to do, okay? It's like a muscle, okay? Just use the little bit you have. The Bible says that faith, that's like the grain of a mustard seed is all you need, okay? So you don't need big faith to do big things. You need to start with the faith that you have. And you say, I'm not sure if I have any. Yes, you do. You wouldn't even be in this room this morning if you didn't already have some faith, okay? There's enough faith that got you to church this morning. There's enough faith that's turned your attention toward God. There's faith inside of you already. There's a seed of faith in you. So you need to start using that faith and understanding what faith is. So what is faith? Let me take you to the definition in the Bible of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Now faith is. So it's going to tell us what faith is, okay? I think we all ought to pay attention. Would you agree? Now faith is, here's the definition, it is the assurance, the title deed, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, it gives a great description of this. The assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as a fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Notice this, it's the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of reality, that your physical senses cannot always identify. You can't always see them. I am absolutely sure of heaven. I've never seen it, never been there, but I know that it's real. Why do I know it's real? Even though I've never seen it, my faith has reached out and taken hold of it. I I believe in heaven. Why? Because Jesus said, and, and, and I believe I'm going there, because Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So I put my faith in Jesus. I believe that there is everlasting life for me. I haven't experienced it yet. It's not all real in my life, but I have it. I believe in it. Why? Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So I know that Jesus is preparing a place for me. He's preparing a place for every believer. I haven't seen heaven yet, but I already have heaven. That's what faith is. So faith is reaching out and taking hold of what you can't see, and it becomes a reality even before you see it. It's the title deed to a promise from God even before the promise is fulfilled. I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again. If I had a title deed for a piece of property in my hand today, and I were to ask you to come to the platform and I handed you a title deed to a piece of property, and you had never seen that property before, you didn't even know where the property was, but I handed you the title deed to that property, it's all sealed, signed, sealed, notarized, everything is, a set, is settled with it, would you own that piece of property even though you'd never seen it? Why? Because you have the title deed. The words say that you own it, right? And no one can tell you you don't own it because the words say you own it. You've got the paper that says, yes, this is mine. Well, that's how you need to read your Bible. 
Your Bible is a title deed to the promises of God in your life. You may not have seen all those promises yet, but it's already written. It's right there. This is what God says about my circumstance. It is mine. I haven't seen it yet, but it really doesn't matter whether I've seen it yet or not. It is already mine. It belongs to me, okay? Because God says it's mine. And so there's this faith that rises up and claims the promise of God. It is a position of the heart. Faith is a position of the heart that that God always does what He promises. Nothing is too hard for Him. Nothing is impossible for Him. It is this assurance, this conviction on the inside that God's Word never fails. Listen to Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. The Lord promised to do many good things for Israel, and He kept His promise. How often? Every time. Notice that. Every time. Notice Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, New Living Translation. The rain and snow came down from the heavens, and stay, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They caused the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. So it's saying, just think about rain and snow. When it comes down, it lands on the ground, waters the earth, and the seed that's in there starts to grow. It is the same with my word, okay? He's using this analogy. It's the same with my word. I send it out, and it always, how often? Always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and will prosper everywhere I send it. He said, just like the rain comes down from heaven and the snow comes down and it waters the earth, any seed that's there pops up and starts to grow. Anytime my word comes into a person's life, it's like the rain and the snow and the seed that's established. And I promise you, it will always produce fruit. If you're hearing today, if you're in this place this morning or one of our campuses today and you're opening your heart to the word of God, God is raining on you right now. And the seed of his word is going to produce some fruit in your life. It's going to happen, okay? Because it always, not, not from time to time, not occasionally, but it always produces fruit. Notice Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. Are you with me this morning? So we come to God and we've got a problem, an issue in our life. And so how do we talk to this problem? Well, first of all, we need to know what God says about it. What are the promises of God for this, for this problem that I have? What does God say about this problem? Now, now that I know what God says about this problem, I now add to it my faith and my conviction that whatever he says about the problem is always right and true. Whatever he promises is always going to be fulfilled. If God said that he makes sure that he's going to make sure that all my needs are met according to his riches and glory, even though I have a shortfall, even though I'm going through a difficult time, I can lay hold of the fact by faith that God's going to take care of me. Are you with me today? Okay. I haven't seen it yet, but God's word is bigger than my circumstances. God's word is bigger than what I can see. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, we look at the problem more than we look at the promise. And what you've got to do in your life, you've got to stop looking at the problem and start looking at the promise, because when you look at the promise, the promise of God is always bigger than the problem you're facing in your life. But so often we have this tendency to see the problem and to think about the problem and hear all the things about the problem. And God says, stop looking at the problem and get a hold of my promise for your life. David learned this. David understood this. 1 Samuel 17, we talked about it last weekend. Let me take you back to it again this weekend. He's facing Goliath, this massive giant, over nine feet tall. And, and this giant, Goliath, is intimidating him. Maybe pick up the story in verse 43 of 1 Samuel 17. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds, the wild animals. Now, all this intimidation going on from Goliath to David. David was unshaken. Notice what David does. David said to the Philistine, notice what he says. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, notice his words, this day, notice the faith, the conviction in David's heart. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds, uh, army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. So you got to get this. David hasn't fought the battle yet, but he's already claiming the victory. Are you with me today? No battle has happened yet. But David knows the end before the battle begins. Why? Because he's living not on what he sees, because if he was living on what he saw, he would see a giant intimidating him, but he's not living on what he sees. He's living on faith in, in God and the promises of God. He says, I want to tell you something, Goliath, God, this battle is not mine. This is the Lord's battle, and the victory has already won. I see it by faith. I know it's going to happen. That's how God wants you to live your life, to see by faith and live by faith and know that whatever God says in your life is true. He's going to produce everything he says that he's going to do in your life. So let your word, your life be filled with faith and conviction that God always fulfills his promises. So how do we speak to our problems? You need to know what to say to your problems. What does God say about my problem? You need to study that. That's why this little book is very important in getting you started in that process. Now that I know what God says about my problems, I'm going to add my faith and my conviction to it. And there's one more element I want to give you today. The third thing that is necessary when it comes to speaking to your problems, you need to speak with confident trust. Trust is what we might call a deeper kind of faith. I want to give you a moment to write, that, write any notes down that you want to take, then I want you to listen to me just for a bit. I want to define trust for you. Trust is complete reliance. Are you listening? It is complete reliance on the goodness, the wisdom, the character, the timing, the ways, and the will of God. Let me read it for you again. I wrote it down because I wanted to read it exactly as I've written it here. It is complete reliance on the goodness, wisdom, character, timing, ways, and will of God. Complete reliance on the goodness of God. Complete reliance on the wisdom of God. Complete reliance on the character of God. Complete reliance on the timing of God. Complete reliance on the ways of God. Complete reliance on the will of God. What is complete reliance? Complete reliance is exactly what you did when you sat down in your chair a few moments ago. You didn't think about whether that chair was going to hold you up. You completely, and you're completely relying on that chair to hold you up right now. You're not sitting there worried about, I sure hope the chair works. Nobody's sitting through this entire service worried about whether your chair is working or not. Not a single one of you are trusting that chair to hold you up. May God help us that no chairs break today, okay? okay. 
But you have this complete reliance. You just threw yourself down on it. You trusted that. It was not a matter of faith. It was a matter of trust. Now, trust and faith are very complementary concepts in the Bible, but they're also distinct. Faith reaches out aggressively to take hold of something, but trust comes with a peaceful rest in whatever it is that you are trusting God for. You're having faith in God for. It's a complete reliance on God, His goodness, His wisdom, His power, His character, His timing, His ways, His will. When it comes to dealing with problems in your life, remember this. Anytime you're talking to a problem, praying about a problem, you're not telling God what to do, you're not telling God how to do it, and you're not telling God when to do it. Anytime you pray about a problem, it's extremely important to understand that you're not telling God what to do, you're not telling Him how to do it, and you're not telling Him when to do it. Because most of the time when we claim a promise, we say, okay, God, I want this promise, and by the way, this is how I'd like for you to do it. And this is when I want you to do it. And so we bring our agenda into this claiming of the promise, and then we get disappointed because God doesn't always do it the way we want Him to do it, and He doesn't always do it when we want Him to do it. Anybody agree that you have sometimes in your mind a better timetable than God does, okay? And so I want it done right now. And so trust says, no, 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 I've got the promise, but I'm going to leave it up to God in terms of how He does it. And when he does it, it's not my issue in terms of telling God how or when. No, I'm trusting that this promise is going to be fulfilled, and it's up to God to do it in the way he wants to do it and when he wants to do it. That's called trust, okay? This is vital to understanding something because you can get steps one and two, and you can miss miss it in step three, okay? Because if you're in number two and you've got this faith here and conviction, but you're then still trying to tell God what to do and when to do it and how you want it done, then you're going to be frustrated. But so, so step three brings you over here to this place of rest and confidence that you've claimed the promise of God. Now you've put it in God's hands and you're trusting, it to, trusting Him to do it whatever way He wants to, when He wants to do it. This is vital in your life. And this is extremely important. You've got to trust God's ways and God's will. Always leave the house and the when to God. In your book, and by the way, on the notes today and on the screen as well, there's an affirmation that affirms your trust in God. I want you to take a look with me at this. We're going to actually read it together in just a moment. But as we read it, I want you to read it with some conviction. I want you to read it enthusiastically. I want you to to, to read it as though you're declaring this in your life. Are you ready to do that? All of our campuses, are you ready? Here we go. Put it on the screen if you will. Here's an affirmation for us to read together. Let's all read aloud, loudly, and with conviction. Are you ready? In faith. Oh, you can do better than that. Here we go. In faith and with a heart to obey, I confidently declare I put my trust in God, believing that He is good, faithful, able, powerful, and loving. He cares about me, concerns Himself with the things that concern me, is responsible for me, and provides providential care over me, never wanting to hurt or harm me. He is completely and personally trustworthy. Do you believe that this morning? Now, now hold on just a second. I want us to read it again, and you can do better than what you just did, okay? Because this has got to get down inside of you. This is not a matter of just reading. I want this to get in your, because I'm not just preaching a sermon to you. I'm trying to help all of us learn how to talk the language of heaven. I'm all about teaching us today. I'm all about getting this into in the way we live. So let's start, start again from the top and give it your best. Believe it from your heart. Here we go. In faith, 
and with a heart to obey, I confidently declare I put my trust in God, believing that He is good, faithful, able, powerful, and loving. He cares about me, concerns Himself with the things that concern me, is responsible for me, and provides providential care over me, never wanting to hurt or harm me. He is completely and personally trustworthy. Do you believe that? Okay. What you're doing when you declare that you're choosing to trust God, okay? You know what God says about your problem? You've now added your faith to it, your conviction that God's Word is true. No matter what you see, His Word is true. Now you're going to move to this third level and say, God, now I'm going to trust you with it. Put in your hands, I'm trusting, I'm resting in the fact that you've got this, okay? Your goodness has this. Notice the Scripture in Psalm 20. We're just about done. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false God. Notice God's. Notice that David says, there was a time in my life that I waited patiently for God. I was going through a difficult period. I knew what God's Word said. I'm trusting God to bring deliverance. I'm believing His promises, but I was waiting on it to happen. I waited patiently. Dear one, let me tell you today, here's the thing to remember. In life, you are going to wait. Everybody's going to wait. You're not going to always get what you want when you want. Everybody's going to wait. And the question is whether you will wait patiently or wait impatiently. That's the choice you will make. And so David said, I chose to wait patiently on the Lord. And he heard my cry. And then there came that moment that there was a miracle in my life that he reached down and pulled me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. There was a moment of his deliverance. Let me tell you, when you hold on to the promise of God, or you're listening to me today, when you hold on to the promise of God in your life with faith and confidence and assurance and you trust God and you wait patiently upon him, there will be a day that he'll reach down and pull you up out of the miry clay and he'll set your feet on a rock. He'll give you a firm place to stand. He'll put a song in your mouth of praise to God. That's called a testimony. Okay? It's called a testimony what God has done. And you can't, listen, you can't have a testimony without a test. You can't have a miracle without a mess. Oh God, give me a miracle. God, okay, here's a mess. Because you can't have a miracle without a mess. But when you grab hold of God's promise and trust Him. He turns your messes into miracles and He turns your tests into testimonies. But you have to wait patiently on Him. You have to trust Him in the process. So God calls us today to begin to speak the language of heaven. What is the language of heaven? The language of heaven starts by knowing what God says about your problems. Do you know what God says about that problem in your life right now? What does He say about it? Not what do you say about it. What is not, not what other people say about it. What does God say about your problem? What does He say about your problem? And then will you add your faith and your conviction to say, I believe that God's word never fails. That whatever he says is always bigger than what I see. I don't care what the Goliath is saying. God is bigger than my Goliath. And then God, based upon my faith in you, I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to tell you how to do it and when to do it. 
And what needs to happen is a part of the journey. I'm just going to wait patiently upon you to do it because I know that when, you, when I trust in you, there'll be a moment that my test will turn into a testimony and my mess will turn into a miracle in my life. My confidence is in you. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful that you're teaching us something about the language of heaven. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to learn that language. Help us to begin to speak differently and to think differently and to operate differently than we have in the past. Help us, Lord God, to begin to lay claim to your promises and to know what you say about the issues in our life. To believe that, Lord, and to trust you for your miracle-working power to be released in your timing. I pray that this word would be sealed in every heart and every life today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out. And from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God. And I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. 